You are listening to episode 53 of the STEM Space, where I conduct an interview with Dr. Olson, a biological engineer from MIT who is working on wastewater surveillance at Biobot Analytics. He shares some really fascinating projects, including how we can use sewage, so yes, poop, to test for things like COVID-19. This is an audio recording of Career Chats, a virtual broadcast where we share the stories of STEM professionals for elementary and middle school students. This is a really fun episode because who doesn't love to talk about poop? Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hello, Space Club. I am so excited to be back with another series of our Space Club career chat for 2022. We have schools that are participating across the United States. We even have an international school in Uzbekistan. Welcome. So whether you're watching this live right now with us or recording later, we are just so excited to have you as part of Space Club career chat. So this is the first session that's going to kick off the semester. The way these work, I bring on different guests from a whole range of STEM fields. And then at the end, if you've done these before, you know, we have a raffle. So we feature some of the projects that have been submitted um, for the past week. And then everybody that submitted gets to be part of this really cool raffle. So before I bring on our guest, I do want to introduce myself. So this is our first one for 2022. I am Natasha Wilkerson. I'm your Space Club director as part of Space Club Mission Control. There's a whole team behind we do here at Space Club that's going to be looking at your submissions on Goose Chase, or if you're doing it on the website through the Google Forms, we're the ones communicating, giving you feedback, giving you bonus points, and we're just so excited to have you as part of Space Club. So my background, I'm an aerospace engineer. I'm also a doctoral student studying science and engineering education. And before I came into this world of education, I did work as an engineer. I was working for the Department of Defense, doing some pretty cool projects, launching rockets. My favorite was the satellite project. You can see here um, in the middle, we sent a satellite called SpinSat to the International Space Station. So probably what inspired my love for all things space. And that's why I'm excited to have this program that gets you guys involved in space, space exploration, engineering, science, and all that really cool stuff. Okay, so now let's get to our guests. So today we have a special guest to kick us off for the semester, Dr. Scott Olson. So he is working at a group called Biobot Analytics. And I know many of you saw the video to kind of give you a hint of the kind of work he does. He has a lot of different degrees, so he has a bachelor's in physics from Williams College, a master's from the University of Cambridge in the UK, and a PhD in biological engineering from MIT. So, Scott, welcome to Space Club. Hi, thanks for having me, Natasha. Well, we are excited to have you, and the way we're going to do this, I ask the students to read your bio, kind of get to know a little bit about you, and then they shared questions. So we're going to do this through the questions from the students. So first, we're going to start about your journey into STEM and what you do now. The first question comes from Team Space Rocket in New York. What inspired you to become a biological engineer? 
Have you always wanted to be one when you were younger, or is this something that has sparked your interest as you grew older? Thanks, Team Space Rocket. I think this is a great question. And the, the funny thing for me is I didn't really want to be an engineer growing up. My dad worked at an engineering company that made scales, like scales for weighing things. Oh. And it didn't really interest me. And actually, my mom worked at a pharma company. And I thought mm, I was much more into like music and art and philosophy and stuff growing up. And actually, my brother, who's on the right side of the picture here, he wanted to be an engineer growing up. And I wanted to be different from him. So I said, no, 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 I don't want to do any of that. And it was only late in high school that I had this really great teacher, Dr. Gershman, who's in the middle here at my college graduation. She was a physics teacher and she was so incredible. I just got so excited about physics. So it has something to do with the material being interesting, but also uh, I got inspired by some individual people that just were really great teachers and who I thought were really interesting. And so just because the student is really into, say, art or reading, does that keep them away from STEM fields? No, I don't think so at all. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've changed what I thought was was most interesting. I think if you like to grow and you like to learn new stuff, then you can always get into engineering and science. Okay, so now let's talk about what you do. And this is a really fun picture <laughs> that we're looking at. So I guess let's just start with what do you do? Give us the big picture of what is it that you do at Biobot Analytics? Yeah, so I work at a company called Biobot Analytics, and we're what we call a wastewater-based epidemiology company. So that's a lot of words. So what that means, like wastewater, like sewage, that means we're, we're looking in wastewater, the stuff that gets flushed down the drain for signals or information, data, that can help us learn about public health. So um, it turns out that whatever you eat, uh, you know, gets digested and comes out the other end. Or if you're sick with a disease or something, Oftentimes, markers, little signals of that disease will come out also in urine or feces, your pee or your poop, and it gets flushed down the drain. Um, it ends up at a place called the wastewater treatment plant, and uh, you can take a sample there and use that sample to get a picture of everybody's collective health altogether. I'm just imagining all of our students just giggling while you're talking. So how do you get into this? So this is the question from Florida, Starnova. Why did you choose the job you are working at now? Yeah, and uh, I mean, part of the truth is that I, I had a friend from graduate school, somebody who I worked with on my PhD, who is a good friend of mine, and, and she was working at this company. So again, I just want to emphasize that it's partially about what you think is interesting, but it's also partly about if you find good people and you like working with them, you can have a lot of fun at work, um, even in something that uh, you know can be really hard day to day, like science, you can find some really great people and really enjoy it. Um, but why did I come to work at Biobot in particular? Well, right, we have the COVID-19 pandemic, and I was just, I really wanted to do uh, something about it. And actually, you know, before I was working at a different kind of company, and I was just kind of going crazy. I wanted to help. I wanted to do something. And so I saw that Biobot Analytics is actually uh, measuring the amount of the COVID virus that was in wastewater. And that was another way to track the spread of the disease. Um, so I got really excited about that and really interested. And that's that's why I joined. And so you didn't start in school thinking, I want to be an expert in poop. Like that wasn't like your dream. <laughs> no, I, I remember having a friend in, in college and she was studying microbiology and I was I was I was so into physics. So I was into like galaxies and whatever, all these like big things. And I was like, man, microbiology. First of all, it's biology, which I didn't like. And second, it's micro, it's like tiny biology. I was like, oh my gosh, like why would you be studying such a thing? But I think again, like my my lesson of life is if you're interested in new things um and you like to grow and learn, then you can end up in all kinds of cool places. Yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned COVID-19 and that's our next slide. We got a lot of questions on that. 
But first, I think this leads into it. How difficult is it to find data from wastewater, the Jedis in Florida? Thanks, Jedis. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Like um, we have this thing called wastewater treatment, right? So the stuff that you flush down the drain or that goes down the sink, it doesn't go right into rivers or lakes or anything. It goes through a process that we call wastewater treatment so that it's like gets clean enough that we can actually put it back into the water cycle. Um, so folks who work in wastewater treatment have are sampling water all the time. They're taking little bottles out to check to see is the water that's leaving the wastewater treatment plant, is it clean enough? Um, and so the neat thing about what we do is we just piggyback on that system. We don't need to build any new pipes or any new buildings or any new infrastructure. We can just grab little bottles of water from uh, wastewater plants and send it back to our lab where we uh, can analyze it and we can figure out things like how many people are sick with certain diseases or how many people are using uh, different kinds of, of drugs or pharmaceuticals. Hmm. Has anybody protested the use of that data? Like, is that something politically an issue where everybody's like, no, no problem? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who are nervous, right, that this could this data could be used in a in a bad way. And the, the thing that I like to emphasize people to people is that this is a collective picture of everyone's health. So there's no way that you can take a sample from the wastewater treatment plant and figure out who did what, because we're all flushing all of our stuff and it gets all mixed together. So the really nice thing about this is that you can really think about it as public health. So even if you're concerned about like an illegal drug, um, what you get, the picture that you get out is, is this a big problem or not a big problem for our community? It doesn't let you say who's using or not using. It just says like, wow, do we have a problem or not? And the same thing goes for a disease. It, you know, you can't like paint any individual picture of any individual person being sick or being dirty or something like that. Just tells you like as a town, as a city, as a country, are we in trouble or not? Do we have to work harder to try and fight a disease or any other kind of epidemic? So you can't identify, say, someone named Emily has COVID-19. Okay. No, that's right. All right. So let's keep going with this. Uh, what was the most difficult part and how would you contain an epidemic from spreading inevitable stargazers from New Jersey? And yes, I did skip that word. <laughs> I'm from New Jersey. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, I think the, the fun thing about being an epidemiologist is it means that you're getting data and you're trying to figure out what it means for what you're going to do about public health. So epidemiologists are people that go around, collect, and then analyze data and then say, okay, based on all of this, uh, you know, what, what are we going to do about COVID? Or what are we going to do about any other disease? Or what are we going to do about opioids or anything like this? And there's all kinds of different epidemiologists. There's epidemiologists who focus on infectious disease, chronic diseases, so like heart disease or alcoholism. There's people who work in workplace diseases, so like accidents that can happen in factories. Um, but all of their jobs are the same. And the, the hard part is figuring out how to take the data that you get and help advise people like uh, decision makers, community leaders about what to do about it. So let's switch to COVID-19 because that was the video that you sent and we got a lot of questions. So I'm going to ask both here. How do you find COVID-19 in sewage and how does it work? So that's explode Pluto for Wisconsin. Huh? Huh? And how do you know it's COVID? What if it's another disease? So is there any issues with misidentifying the Martian ladies in North Carolina? Wow, I like the, the two planets here. I would like us to keep Pluto and not explode it, please. I will say to explode Pluto. Um, yeah, so th if, if you're infected with COVID-19, if you have the disease, then it turns out that uh, you poop out the virus uh, and it gets flushed down the drain. So the more people who are infected, the more of the virus is in wastewater. And actually we can use the same kind of technology that are used for um, 
nasal swabs. Like if you go to the doctor and they diagnose whether you have COVID or not, they take a swab out of your nose and run a test on it. We can essentially run the same test on wastewater because it's as if we swabbed not the noses, but a different part of many people and got one big collective sample. We can send that through the same uh, testing system. And it's actually really, really precise. So the, the method that's used, which is a method from biological engineering, is really, really precise. And it means that there's almost no way to mistake COVID for some other kind of disease. You can separately test for flu or for you know, whatever other disease that you want to, but you get a very specific signal about COVID. So before we move on, one final question here. Is, is this something you see that's going to be kind of the, the next big thing? Because it seems like this is kind of a newly developing area. Is that true? Yeah, so actually, um, we've been using uh, wastewater-based monitoring, like uh, looking in looking in sewage for disease. We've been doing this for polio for a long time. So oh. polio is not a big deal in the United States, but in some parts of the world, a lot of people still get polio. And you can actually do the same kind of monitoring uh, for polio there. So we've been doing that for decades, since the 60s. Um, it hasn't had many applications beyond that. And I think COVID-19 is really going to be the springboard for us in the United States and in other parts of the world to really think about how we can monitor not only COVID, but a bunch of other diseases that are really, really hard to track. Um, we don't test for many diseases, right? Like think about how many diseases you've been tested for in your life. It's not very many. So right. I, I really do think there's like a lot of potential. We could learn so much about what's making us sick with this technology. Oh, fascinating. Okay, so we're gonna move on now uh, to, I know you wanted an interesting project you had to share with us, and this is a hint here in the picture. So I'm excited to learn more. Yeah, so you know, during COVID, one of the really scary things was, uh, you know, if you could if you could stay home easily, um, then you could feel safe, right? You could just you could stay at home. You know, maybe you could have groceries delivered. But if you weren't one of those people that could stay at home, uh, you know, life could be a lot harder, could be a lot scarier. And at the other end of the spectrum from being able to stay at home is what if you were forced to, to stay somewhere where there are a lot of other people living right near you. So prisons and jails is one of those places um, where folks are serving their time, um, but you don't want them to have any other punishment on top of that, right? You know, it's it's not fair to make people who are already uh, serving their time, you know, also have to be sick. So one of the, some of the work that we did is we monitored uh, wastewater at um, some jails and prisons looking for COVID-19. And there was actually a few times that there were outbreaks of COVID-19 that we saw in wastewater first, that helped the administrators of the facility go around and offer testing to everyone. And they could actually identify the outbreak, take the people who are sick and separate them from everyone else and actually prevent people from getting ill um, you know, through this early warning system. What was your role on that project? We did some data interpretation. So the, you know, like I was saying, the epidemiologist is between the data and the decision makers. So the folks from the lab analyze the sample, they come back and they say, wow, the level of, of COVID in this wastewater seems really high. And then it's up to me and my team to say, that means something. That means that there's an outbreak and that uh, you know, the facility administrators should go in and, and start testing people and start isolating people who are sick so that this doesn't spread. Very interesting. Yeah, this isn't an area we really commonly think about. So that's a different perspective. All right, so let's switch here to outside of your work. Um, you have some pictures here I want you to talk about, but a lot of the questions were about being an Eagle Scout. So let me start with what are we looking at? Yeah, so this is me. I, I got the chance in college to go work on an archaeology project. Um, archaeology is different from paleontology. So paleontology is uh, looking at ancient animals, so like dinosaurs and stuff. Archaeology means looking at old humans 
or pre-humans. So actually, this is a cave in France where a kind of pre-human called Neanderthals uh, used to live. And so what we're doing is we're, we're digging up essentially someone's old house and looking for the animal bones from animals that they ate or the stone tools that they had made. And we're actually looking also for the skeletons of these pre-humans who had lived and died in this cave. Um, and you can see me up there a little bit younger operating this sort of survey machine that we use to track the, the different um, you know, artifacts and stuff that we find on the ground. So I wanted to put this in here just to show that like archaeology is also a science uh, and it, it's, it's related to chemistry and it's related to a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but it, again, if you're interested in different things, science can be really exciting because there's a lot of different uh, directions that you can go in. Now let's talk about being a Boy Scout. So one was how and what did you do to become the highest rank in Boy Scouts Mars crew in Florida? Hey, Mars crew. Yeah, so Boy Scouts is a really cool opportunity. Um, you know, there's other opportunities for girls or for folks who don't want to be part of either Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. Um, it's a way to, uh, you know, explore the outdoors and to learn skills and get involved in your community. Um, I also liked it because I, I, I met people and I became friends with people that I wouldn't have been friends with if I was in school. Both boys from my town that, I don't know, they weren't in my friend groups at school, but I got along with them when we were camping and doing things like that. And also adults, like their dads. I wouldn't have been friends with many, uh, you know, adult men, but I, as a 16-year-old, I was friends with a lot of 40-year-olds, which was a really unique kind of experience to have in life. Um, to become a to become a, a higher rank, there's a whole bunch of different things. You got to learn all kinds of stuff. You got to learn knots. You got to learn wilderness survival. But you also have to do things like go to your town hall and uh, talk to a judge and all these kinds of really? things. So there's, there's a lot of different kinds of things that you learn on the way to uh, the Eagle Scout rank. And so then the next question is, how long does it take for you to be an Eagle Scout? So this is, uh, I was told this is one name of a team, Martian Manhunters and Galactic Empire team in North Carolina. That is a grand name, and I think it's awesome. Um, yeah, you can, you can join Boy Scouts when you're 11, and you have to leave when you're 18. Um, once you turn 18, you turn into an adult, and you can't uh, stay as a Boy Scout anymore. You can still be part of a troop and still be helpful to the troop, um, but the focus is on, is on folks from that are... 11 to, to 18. Um, it takes a little, it took me a little less time than that because you have to finish before you're 18, but it's many years. So you have a long time and a lot of work to do. And I think that's one of the things I got out of it too, is this idea of working hard through time, staying dedicated to something over many years. That's something that's important in a scientific career. You're going to have to learn a lot and you're going to have to remain dedicated. And I learned some of that from being a Boy Scout. I got that kind of training and, and discipline. And what I feel is a theme from our discussion is you don't have to put yourself in one bucket, right? You don't just have to be all about, you know, space. <laughs> like you can kind of have a wide range of interest. So what advice do you have for students listening? And, you know, they're often asked like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're kind of forced to pick a bucket. What do you tell students? Yeah, I, when I was a kid, I mean, people asked me that question, and at first I said farmer because I liked pictures of the because I liked pictures of of fields and corn. I don't know. I just felt like I had to pick an answer, like you're saying. And later on, I said doctor because it was an answer that sort of seemed to please everybody. But I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I think actually the thing that surprised me through time is that there's so many different kinds of jobs that I never knew existed. Right? Like, when did I learn that epidemiologist was a job? You know, like maybe five years ago. So I, I keep discovering new things. So I think it's good. Like you don't have, to, it's good to learn things and be excited about them, but you don't need to pigeonhole yourself. You don't need to pick one thing and say, that's only what I'm about. 
I will give one piece of advice though. It's, it's real easy to be a physicist and then go into a biology. It's harder to do the other way. So the more that you're focused on, on hard, hard skills or like learning your math or learning your engineering, those are skills that are really, really transferable. So it's, it's easier to go from harder science to softer science than the other way around. It's not because one is better than the other. Just if you want to be more flexible, it's, I think it's more powerful to have math and physics as some of your core skills. Yeah, that's and good chemistry. advice. What was that last part? And chemistry. And Don't chemistry. leave out the chemists. Yeah. So now we're going to switch to our final set of questions. We call mm. these the rapid fire questions. So I'm going to give you maybe 20, 30 seconds for each of these. So whatever kind of comes to your head. Uh, so first we have, how long did it take to get all your degrees? And you have a lot of those from beyond collectives in Florida. So I, I started undergrad, like a bachelor's in 2006, and it took me four years. I finished in 2010. I got two two master's degrees. Each one took a year. It's unusual in the U.S. It usually takes two years. And then I did my PhD in four years, which is pretty short. A lot of people take anywhere between six and, and 10 years. So it took me about 10 years, but I think for folks who are uh, similar to me, 15 is not uncommon. That's a lot. And I think that can be intimidating to students. I'm going to pause there because I have a question to follow up at the end. So hold that thought. What is your main goal when trying to help the city and the state officials, International Space Team of Alhanse, Florida? Hello. Um, yeah, our main goal is to help them try and make a good decision. So, you know, we're scientists. You know, taking scientific measurements, but scientific measurements on their own uh, doesn't tell the whole story. Um, decision makers, whether they're like a mayor or you know the warden of a jail or something like this, they have so many different things to keep track of and so many reasons to make different decisions. Maybe they don't have enough money to do everything. Maybe they want to make sure that people's rights are being respected in a certain way. There's just so much that goes into a decision, and as scientists, we just try and help support and make sure that they're making their decision based on the best data that they can get. And sometimes that data changes. And I think that's confusing to people whenever they hear certain scientists say one thing and then a couple of weeks later change their mind. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think COVID has been such a good example of this, Natasha, that um, we've, we've learned so much about the, about the pandemic and about the disease while it's still happening. And the situation is changing all the time. And so I think we, in school, we learn science as like you open a book and it has facts in it and those facts are true for all time. But even, even now there's books, there's facts that were in the, in, the, in the textbook when I was growing up that it's not that they're not true. We just understand things better now. So science is always evolving and changing. We're always learning more. So I think that's why, again, it's part of why it's really important to like learning because if you're a scientist, you're going to have to learn new things all the time. Like reclassifying Pluto. There you go. <laughs> what interested you to work with wastewater, Space Buckets in Illinois? Yeah, hey, Space Buckets. Um, I, I mean, again, I just thought wastewater was like, I thought this thing of like, you could figure out what was going on with COVID by looking in wastewater was so cool. Because the alternative, right, is someone has to go to the doctor, get something shoved up their nose, that swab has to get sent to a lab, it's got to be analyzed and processed, and it goes back to the public health people who count it. Like so many steps have to happen for you to count people who are sick. Or with wastewater, you just take one bucket worth of poop, and that's all you need. I just thought it was so cool. I like it. Okay, so kind of looping back to the first question, what is it like to have a PhD in biological engineering? Marpalo in Florida. 
Yeah, I, I think this is actually a really good question. I mean, because th this is actually an argument I had with my parents before I went and did a PhD because they said, well, we're not, you should, you can't do that because, you know, we're not going to pay for that and you don't have enough money to do it. And I think something that's kind of different about PhDs in the sciences is that it's like a job. So, um, you know, it's, to say that I was in school for 10 years, it sounds like a lot. An undergrad, you know, you work and you take classes. You're you're a lot much more on your own. You have to be able to study on your own. So like time management uh, management matters a lot. But by the time you get sort of midway through your PhD, your goal is to become the world expert on some very, very, very tiny, narrow topic. And you're often paid to do it um, in the sciences. So it, it sounds like a lot, but it's actually kind of like an entry level job. It's kind of like you're the first rung in a research career. So that doesn't mean 10 years of classes is in fact, the second half is a lot of learning how to be a research scientist. Yeah, that's a really great way to put it. It's basically paying you to learn and to become an expert. So that makes it less scary than thinking I just did, you know, 12 years of school and I'm going to do another 10. I think it's confusing to folks what research is yeah. like research means that nobody knows the answer. It means it's not written down in a book anywhere. You have to design an experiment and run a test and look at the answer and scratch your head and say, did that make sense? I probably need to do this other experiment. It's a really different kind of way of thinking than when you're in school where you just read the book, ingest right. all the facts, memorize them and send them back. You know, now you're like, anything could be true and it's up to you to figure out what's, what's, uh, what's true and test your own theories. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I love it. Okay. So I'm going to switch here, but while I switch, I would like you to connect what you do to space. Wow, that's a toughie. I like this one, but I'm ready for it. So, um, you know, I talked about wastewater treatment plants as a place where we can, you know, do some sampling. But imagine if you're on a cruise ship, you know, everyone's stuck there together. If someone's sick, you'd like to know before people start throwing up or whatever. And you can do that on a, on a cruise ship. And so now you just extend that a little bit further. If you're on a colony ship, if you're on a moon base, if you want to know who's sick and you want to know that they're sick before they start throwing up or coughing or whatever, you can look in the wastewater treatment system and you're going to need to have a wastewater treatment system if you're on Mars because the stuff that comes out is actually really valuable for fertilizer or for whatever. You can't just throw it out because uh, it's got to be it's going to have to be recycled up in space. Yeah. And I'm sure there's like other reasons we probably would want to avoid like certain bacteria, like if we're going to maybe colonize Mars, that's part of their project um, and checking like what's in the system and if anybody's sick. And I could just see a lot of potential here for space applications. I think that's right. And bacteria are going to come with us, whether we want them to or not, because they live on us and they live inside us. They live all around. There's no way we can be perfectly clean when we go to space. So we're going to have to we're going to have to be ready for that. I love it. All right. So as we end our Space Club career chat, I want to thank you, Scott, uh, for joining us and, sh and sharing your story and your insight. Any final words for the students? Uh, I just want to say thanks so much for having me and for the students. If, if you like science, you're on a great track. Find, find what you like. And if it gives you energy and it gives you excitement and it helps you study and helps you be excited, do more of that. I love it. Well, best of luck to all the teams out there for this week in Space Club. And I look forward to seeing all of your submissions. Thank you.